Hello and welcome to another episode of Merging Excellence Podcast. I'm super excited to have our special guest with us today, Mark Carpenter. Welcome, Mark. It's great to have you. Oh, Felicity, thanks so much for having me with you. I'm just really excited for this conversation. So you are a master storyteller and I wanted to dive right in and ask you, how did you get to be a master? Is it something that you set out to accomplish? Did you want to be a storyteller? You know, was it something that naturally came up for you in your career journey? Yeah. And you know, when we talk about that title, Master Storyteller, I wrote the book Master Storytelling. So it's kind of a self-imposed title, right? I, I've kind of given that title to myself. But I was always the kid who was telling stories as I was growing up. And part of that, I was the fourth of five children. It was my way of getting attention. I also had a mom who was a reading and English teacher. And so we always had books around our house. And so story was important. Get older, some of those things that you grow up with integrate into your professional life. And I started out my career in corporate public relations. So I was telling the story of the organizations that I was working for. And so story became a part of that. And then later I transitioned into this career of teaching and facilitating workshops. And I, I knew that the best way for me to convey information was to tell the story of what the concepts mean. Not just give information, but tell what it means. And so storytelling was very natural in that. And so that kind of led to the point where I decided with a friend of mine to write this book about how we actually do that. It's very natural for some people like me because I've done it for so long, but for other people, that's a new skill. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to put it into this book, Master Storytelling, How to Turn Your Experiences into stories that teach, lead, and inspire. Because we wanted to codify that and put a simple way for people to take their everyday experiences and turn them into lessons learned that they could teach to other people. Was it kind of like a reverse engineering process where you saw, oh, this is working really well. What is it that's working? And then kind of unpacked it from there. Was that part of your process? Yeah, and it was a little bit tricky because, because I'd done it so long and it was fairly natural for me. I had to really step back and think, what is this process? And do some research around it, not only to say what's the process, but why does that work? Why is that effective? And I found out there was actually really good research out there that we included in the book. So that is backed by science. It's not just me thinking this off the top of my head. It was just some things that I had somewhere learned along the way. And then we wanted to put it in a very simple way for people to, to grasp and understand themselves. I heard Seth Godin talk about this, the concept of storytelling and then kind of like facts and numbers. And he's, you know, a marketer and amazing storyteller. And it was on the Tim, Tim Ferriss podcast a number of years ago. And I'll never forget it. I mean, it must have been a great story. That's why I remember it. He was talking about the Ten Commandments. So he said, you know, there's the Ten Commandments are this thing that people should live their life by. You know, it's the the fundamentals, you know, religion, etc. But people can't remember all 10. But then if you ask them a story about Adam and Eve or Noah's Ark, then people remember that so much more. And it really struck me as an aha moment around storytelling because I thought, yes, you know, that was happened to be the religion I was brought up in. So you go, oh, wow, how fascinating. I do remember those stories more powerfully. Can you give us an insight into kind of the science behind that? Because I'm a facts and figures girl being an engineer. Yeah. And some of the science behind it has to do with how storytelling engages our brains as listeners to the stories. So if you're listening to facts and figures, if you're if you're listening to, I'll use your example, the list off of the Ten Commandments, you're processing that through the auditory part of your brain and you're trying to make sense of it. So there's some some conscious kind of data processing centers of your brain. And 
the science has shown that there's about three or four parts of your brain that you engage when you're listening to facts and figures, particularly around, around numbers. But when you listen to somebody tell a well-told story, in addition to those areas of brain, it's tapping into your memory. Because when you hear a story, you're trying to relate it to things that happened in your life. It also taps into the more creative sides of your brain. So there's five or six areas of your brain that are engaged when you're hearing a story. And so it's almost not a fair fight that you're getting more of the person's brain when you're telling them a story than when you're just giving them the facts and the figures. And so that, that's one of the studies that shows why storytelling is so much more sticky and more impactful than just the, just numbers. Now, I also want to add in there that I am not discounting facts and figures. It's important to share facts and figures, but I always encourage people to add on top of that, the story that tells what those facts and figures actually mean. What do they mean to you? Because then the people will remember that story and they'll connect them to those numbers and they'll likely remember the numbers better too. Mm. And would you preface it would say start with the story and then follow with the numbers to back it up or is there kind of like a set structural order that you should be sharing the story in and I have to say yesterday I was listening to an interview with you and you were talking about waking up in the morning and smelling coffee I actually made myself a decaf coffee at like 6 p.m last night because I could not get the smell of coffee out of my mind after you told that story so is there a set order we should be sharing and communicating these stories with and and I'm not sure there's a set order of do I share the numbers first and then the story or the story first and then the numbers but there is a structure that we teach people around telling the story that you want to set the current state you want to create a relatable set of characters and environments that people can tie into. So when you talked about, I, I couldn't not make coffee, it's because we tapped into your memory. We tapped into that sensory memory that you had, and it connected you into that story. So that's the setting of the stage or the current state that we start with. Well, in order for your story to really catch people's attention, there has to be some goal that you're trying to accomplish and something that gets in the way of that goal, which is what we call the conflict section of the story. Something happens happens to put that goal at risk and that heightens your attention because you want to know if I'm going to overcome that goal or if I'm going to fail. You want to know what's going to happen. And then we get to the change. What did we learn from that? So did I accomplish the goal or not? And if I didn't accomplish the goal, why not? And what could I have done differently because a lot of times the stories are lessons learned that other people can learn that lesson and not have to go through the same pain that I did. Or did I accomplish the goal and what did it take to accomplish that? And how can you do that as the listener too? And with that simple three-part structure, you're really tapping into a lot of the brain science again that draws people into stories so it makes sense to them. Mm, yes, my goal of getting my morning coffee first thing with two small children is a can be a challenge sometimes in the morning. So I overcame that this morning. My husband took the kids and brought me back coffee. So I definitely won this morning and definitely could relate to your story. Just like you know, walking down the stairs and like the dark in the morning. I don't even have stairs in my house, but I could relate to your story because I got that really powerful visual of that experience. Now, being an engineer by training, we're not trained in storytelling at all you know very much facts figures numbers that's important for us and i think a lot of people in technical professions to be trained in that way and i do a lot of work to speak with the next generation with high school students around getting them engaged in engineering but i don't talk about the facts and figures i don't say 
you know, I mean, I would know that for ages about how strong a bridge is and how much steel goes into it or how many rivets or, you know, the technical stuff, which is very cool. But, I, you know, the approach I often take is, you know, why is the bridge important? It connects communities. It connects people together. Imagine if it wasn't there, you'd have to walk all the way around or you'd have to get a barge or, you know, what are the other options before the bridge was there and really bring out the why of the story. And it's something I've actively had to train myself in. What would be your advice to people who I guess are you know, more switched on in that technical mindset? How do you start developing yourself as a storyteller, particularly if it doesn't feel very natural for you? Yeah, and like anything that's new, it's a learned process. So you have to learn it, you have to try it, and you have to do it. So I'm going to start with that, that yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a learned process. It's not a, I have this skill or I don't have this skill. It, it is a learned skill that you can develop along the way. But what you're describing, is actually fairly natural with a lot of people. We have this tendency to say, well, let me just get to the point here. Let me just get to the results that I've got here. And so we share, well, we put this process in place and it's really made a difference. But you didn't give me any of the emotional connection there. The, the, the thing I would encourage people to do is share with us the pain points that you went through to get to that end, to get to that final point. You were talking about sharing information with engineers or, or prospective engineers about why engineering is important. Well, you could talk to them about how, how many times have you crossed a bridge in the last year? And what would it do to you if you didn't have that bridge to cross? What would you have to do differently? And all of a sudden they're into, oh, that would be hard. And maybe even the next question is, and what if that bridge was just built by the local farmer and grocer. How comfortable would you be going across that bridge? And so you start to get into some of that emotional pain, that emotional connection that people can relate to. And that's what stories do. They touch us in an emotional level. And so I encourage people as they're telling their story to tell what was the pain point that you went through? What were the times that you had an emotional reaction to something? Because if you have an emotional reaction, there's probably a lesson embedded in that experience that could become a good story. But don't leave out the emotional reaction. And I think that's where kind of the engineering brain in all of us comes in. It's like, I don't want to get emotional about this. I just want to share the point. Yeah. But it's the emotional connection in there that makes the point. I was just working with somebody yesterday and today who has to stand up in front of a group of 300 leaders and share a way that her or part of the organization was living some of the values of the organization. So they wanted to emphasize values of the organization. What do those look like? And she talked about how this team of people came together and created these new processes that coming out of the pandemic were really important for the organization and made a big difference. And it was all good information. It was all good success. But as I listened to her tell that, I said, where's the passion? Where's the, what did you have to go through to get there? And she said, well, I, we had to do this and it was really hard because this and this and this. And as she started talking, I went, there's your story. That's what you need to tell people. And she said, really? I said, yeah, think about that. And I started giving back to her what she had told me. Well, to her credit, she rewrote her story and we got back together again today and it was fabulous. It made the points, it included the information that she had, but I could feel the connection to it. And at the end of it, I was inspired to want to collaborate with other people to have greater success. And that was the, 
uh, the value that she was trying to emphasize with that story. So we need to get in those pain points, those emotional connections that we have to the experience, because that's what's going to connect in people's hearts and minds. Do you find that people have a reluctance sometimes to go to the emotional part of it? I know, I mean, I'm a massive Brene Brown fan, you know, vulnerability, all that kind of stuff, um, and that authentic storytelling. But sometimes, you know, often I think sometimes you forget, maybe that's a human being thing. Okay, I've gone through the pain, I've forgotten, I've moved on. But things can be a 10-year journey, particularly, you know, businesses, the business world that I've worked in as well. It's often you kind of don't want to remember the pain, you just want to get on with it or an engineer, you finish the project, you just want to, you've delivered it, like move on. And it can be tricky to go back. And I often feel like, oh, am I going to come across as someone who's not very good at my job if I've had these mistakes and had these failures and challenges along the way? Does that come for people that you work with? And how do you address that? And, and it is sometimes hard for people to be a little, a little vulnerable and to share those pain points and particularly to share some of the mistakes that they've made. Mm. I heard this expression years ago, and it's always stuck with me, that wise people learn from their mistakes, but truly wise people learn from other people's mistakes. And so you're actually helping people by sharing with them the mistakes that you've made. And if you can open up to that, and it's not so much about the mistake, it's about the lesson learned Mm. within that. And that's very powerful. You actually look like a stronger leader when you can share, this is what I learned along the way in this process. And I am here to help you as a leader to not have to make the mistakes that I made. I think sometimes leaders, especially emerging leaders, have this sense of, well, I need to put on this air of invincibility. I need to show that I'm the leader. I'm the one who does everything right. Well, we all know that's a false facade because nobody's perfect. Nobody's that great. And so opening up, it will connect you to your people more to say, hey, this is a person who's like us, but has been the places that I am right now. So I should listen and learn from them. And that's what that story will do is will help people along that path where they can grow and develop. And that's a powerful leadership skill. Mm, that's so true. And I've definitely experienced that being on the emerging side of leadership of, oh, I want to look like I've got it all handled and got it all together. And I want to tell the good shiny story. Actually, recently we were working with a client and the people in the program were presenting to the executive leadership team and they were they were like look how great this idea is and it's going to be excellent it was it was a scenario it was a role play and the executive leadership team actually said hey don't give us the good version give us why it's not going to work tell us the challenges as well and it really struck me as oh wow yeah you you're going in and pitching you want to actually share that it means you really well about your idea I know that's such a default for me as a person who wants to be great, do great things, be a good leader is I'm so drawn to saying the shiny version when actually there's so much, I don't know what the expression for it would be, but so much, even like a duck swimming on the water, all the pedaling going on underneath that's happening. And yeah, I really do want to pretend that it's all fine and all handled over here. So does that a trap you see as well with emerging leaders? Absolutely. Uh, Completely. But I try to get people to turn that back around. And think about the leaders that they resonate with most. Mm. Who were the leaders you resonate with most? They were likely the ones that showed that humanity, that showed their human side and the vulnerable side that says, yeah, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. It's the leader who will apologize for their mistakes, who will point out, wow, this didn't go well. What did we learn from it? Mm. And that's the kind of leader that you respect the most. The leader that kind of tries to hide the warts hide the ugly thing and only put the shiny side out. 
in a way, after a while, you don't you don't completely trust that leader because you know that there's got to be something underneath there that you're not seeing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not suggesting, yeah, just show all your ugly side and emphasize that, but be human. It's about leading like a person and getting that humanity into leadership that I think is really, really important. And I think especially for emerging leaders to understand that it's okay for me to be human and to show my humanity. I feel like I wish someone had told me that earlier because I've spent years pretending, Mark, that everything's fine and handled over here. Why do you think it's so important for emerging leaders to, you know, not even master, you know, it's going to take years to master the art of storytelling, but, you know, even just start on that journey. Why do you think it's so important at that point in people's career to start thinking about this? Well, some of it comes back to the brain science around storytelling, that this is how we connect as a species. And sometimes we get into that first time people leader position and we think, okay, now I'm this position up here above the people that are on my team and I've got to show that I'm above. That's not what they need. What they need is they need a leader to support and to strengthen them. And so if we're trying to lead people, it's a people leadership skill to communicate in ways that people will buy in and understand it. And storytelling will help you do that. Sometimes we get emerging leaders and even longtime leaders who will say, this is the change we need to make. This is what we need to do. And people say, well, why? This doesn't make sense. And they'll say, just do it because I said so. Well, that's leading like their position, but it's not leading like a person. Mm. And the story will help them see, well, we need to do this because it's going to bring us this kind of result. Let me give you an example of the impact that can make or the problems we're currently facing that we're trying to overcome with this change. And when people see that, they're going to buy in more. They're going to follow you more as a leader. And the earlier you can learn that in a leadership position, the stronger your leadership career is going to be. I love that. Lead like a person, not like your position. And I think another trap of leadership is that, oh, I'll do that once I have the title or, you know, work towards that. But you can demonstrate that and practice that now. So even if you're listening to this and you're not in a leadership role, then everyone can be practicing those skills and behaviors and being of a leader every day, I think. Do you do you agree? I'm seeing you're not Yeah, absolutely. In fact, let me share an example of that. I was talking to the son of a friend of mine who is in sales and he's in a kind of mid-level sales position. So he has the team that he works with, but he's not the team leader. And he said that the worst days of his month were the days when he had to have his meeting with his boss and he worked remotely. And so he didn't see his boss all the time. So they had these this cadence of, of meetings every other week that they'd kind of discuss the goals and how things are going. And he said, I used to sit in those meetings and share all the numbers of what was going on. And my boss would push back on me. Why isn't that better? Why isn't this better? Why isn't that better? And he read Master Storytelling and he had this idea. And he said, I'm going to start telling my boss the story of what these numbers mean when I meet with them. So I'm not just going to give him the numbers, but I'm going to tell him what it means and give him an example of, of what I'm doing to help with that. He said, those meetings go so much better now because my boss says, oh, okay, I get it. I understand. He doesn't push back on me anymore. So think about that. In his position, he is developing that skill of telling a story to explain the why, to get to the heart of the matter. And so 
without being in a leadership position, he's still practicing that skill. And that's going to serve him well when he does get into that people leadership position. Absolutely. I think that development over time, it's you're just not going to wake up one day and be like, I'm a monster at this. It takes that development and continuous practice. What could be, I love that example of doing it in just a meeting. I wouldn't have even thought to that for me. I go, oh, I, I do a lot of public speaking. So I think I'm going to be using so much of what you shared already today in my next talk. What are some other examples of where people could be practicing this or developing this skill? Is it every day? I don't know, with your husband or wife or partner or children? Where would you recommend practicing? Well, I think you can practice like all the time. In terms of practicing with your partner or your family members at home, maybe not quite as deliberately there to make them the guinea pigs. But just think about a couple of case case scenarios. When you're in your your review, your employee review, tell the story of how you've accomplished your goals. Not just, yes, I achieved this goal, I achieved this goal and, and share what you've done, but how did you do it? What did you have to overcome? What were some of the challenges you faced? Because then your leader's gonna really see that. The same token, turn that around. What if you're the leader and you're maybe trying to hire a new team member and you wanna see you know, how they're gonna fit on the team? Well, tell the story of some things that your team has had to overcome and accomplish and see how that resonates with the person. And ask that person who you're interviewing to tell a story about a time when they demonstrated teamwork. What does that look like? So if you're interviewing for a position, storytelling is a great place to stand out from other candidates who are always trying to just give the right answer. Now, you you also mentioned in presentations and speeches, that's a fantastic place. Teaching, teaching any kind of workshop, it's a great place to use storytelling. Really just can be used everywhere. There's so many opportunities. I was talking just this morning with a client who they're going through a merger uh, and they're actually being acquired by a, another company in their same industry. And we're doing a storytelling workshop with them in a couple of weeks. And I talked about how this is a great opportunity to use this skill as you're integrating with this new company to show what value you bring by sharing some of the experiences you've had and the lessons learned from those things that will position you well within with new leadership that's coming from another company to show who you are and what you bring to the table. So there's really countless ways that you can you can use this skill to connect with other people. And that's the mm -hmm. bottom line. This is connecting and helping people understand the why of what's going on. And that's such a big part of leadership, isn't it? It's really connecting with another human being. And I think when you're connected, you have that trust, that relatedness, then you want to do things for your leader and you want to help them. And yeah, now I'm now also having flashbacks of all the times I've done a bad storytelling because I think maybe it's just the way I wired, but I'm definitely goal-orientated, results-focused. And the training as an engineer probably didn't help that being all analytical. And I think one of the tricky things, particularly if you're coming from a technical profession is that we are so trained in the results you know don't worry about you know the whole like I was, I've literally been told before and I think this is this is accurate you know don't include the whole story of how you got to the technical answer the client just wants to know the answer in your report put all of that in appendix and there's certain reasons of course why we're trained that way I think sometimes we can take it too far and if we are in those technical roles for a long period of time we can get used to that way of working and we found that to be the biggest challenge for people who are going into that first-time leadership role is almost unlearning a bunch of things, even though it sounds like storytelling is an innate human, you know, capability. So I'm somewhat relieved that maybe I could be a great storyteller yet. Oh, again, it's a skill. Seriously, I think anybody can learn it if they, they learn the process and follow that process. And I just want to comment on what you were just saying there, Felicity, because I think you're spot on. Think about what we teach people in schools. Mm -hmm. 
even in you know master's programs, you look at an MBA program, what are they teaching you? They're teaching you how to read these financial sheets and making sense of the financial sheet, but not to really how to explain it to people. Yes. When you think about what happens with leaders in like an investor relations call. Well, yeah, you need to give them the numbers, but you also need to tell them what those numbers mean and why, and why they can still have confidence in you and your organization. And we don't often teach that skill in those positions. It goes back to what I was saying earlier. We get really focused on teaching people position skills. This is how to run your position. But as a leader, your biggest job is to lead people. And we don't teach as much the people skills of how to really engage and captivate the hearts and minds of your people. And storytelling is one of the components of that that really falls under communicating clearly to your team. Mm. And so we miss sometimes those people skills that are really important for people leaders. I feel like this also would be a really safe way to practice. And we talk about this a lot is how can you practice in a safe environment when, you know, your job's not on the line and, you know, you're having a performance review, et cetera, and it's when it really counts to perform. And so I can really see in, in what you're sharing is storytelling can be a way to see if you can influence people and almost, you know, test it out before you're in that, you know, CEO role on the stage presenting uh, and actually be almost like little micro tested. Okay, if I say this story, how did people respond? Did they take action? You know, are they more engaged with me? Are they, you know, quicker at getting things back to me, etc? Uh, is that something that you've seen as well as some of the positive outcomes from the work you've done with with leaders and emerging leaders? Yeah, absolutely. And again, we encourage people practice. Practice, practice, practice. That's the way you get better at skills. And, and sometimes and this is where you could use your family, as we were talking about earlier. Going into this interview or this position, and let me tell you a story and see how it resonates with you and get that feedback from him from them. And at the start, you really only want to ask, what did you like about the story and what did you think the point of the story was? Mm-hmm. Because if people answer, oh, I like this and this and this, and I felt like the point of the story was that. And if that's the point you were trying to make, you're on the right track. You can also self-coach yourself in a lot of ways because we all have one of these little movie studios that we carry around with us in our pockets Mm. and just pull out that phone that has a video function on it, video yourself telling the story. And as painful as it is to watch and listen to yourself, watch it and listen to it and you'll pick up things that'll be impactful for you. I remember my my daughter when she she was interviewing for a position when she was senior in in her college program, her university program. And she was really worried about getting it because she knew there was a lot of applicants and she really wanted this. And so she asked me to help her practice the interview process. She gave me a series of the questions that she thought they'd ask. And I, I'd asked her these questions and she answered them very, very well, like everybody answers the question. And so one point I paused and I said, instead of answering that question that way, tell me the story about when something like that happened. And so she was going into elementary education. And one of the questions was, what's your philosophy on discipline in the classroom? And she gave a very good answer on philosophy of discipline in the classroom. I said, give me an example from some of your experience where you've been in classrooms that you actually demonstrated your philosophy on discipline. She thought about it for a minute. She said, well, there was this time. And she told me the story about this interaction with this child in this classroom. And I said, that's your answer to that question. Tell that story. And she got a little emotional about it because she was like, I don't know if I can tell that story. It's a little close. It's a little <laughs> emotional. But that's the story. When she got done with the interview process, there were several different schools that were looking for people to fill these positions. She got a call from the one that she wanted to go to most. And the vice principal 
was calling her said, I had to fight six other schools for you because everybody wanted you in their school. That's the difference that storytelling makes. And just so find those opportunities, a trusted friend that you can practice them a little bit. And even if you're not perfect at it, stories are still going to have good impact. Yeah, you just got me emotional thinking about a story where I was actually, I did a TEDx talk a number of years ago and I thought I'll practice with somebody and a live audience. I, I do practice my speeches now, but it's usually in a hotel room in front of a mirror and no one's around. Oh, actually, I usually practice. And I, I practice it with my husband first and he usually gives me the blunt feedback of like, yeah, this suck, this suck, this suck, changes, changes, which is actually awesome. But every time I go into practicing with him, I go, oh, he's so going to say you know, he's going he's gonna to come up with something and usually involves me scrapping my speech and starting again, but it's always so much better and just being open to that change. But anyway, I was practicing my TEDx talk in front of a live human, shout out to Warwick, and he he said to me, he's like, are you going to get emotional when you tell that story? And I was like, no, I'll be fine. It was a story about how I, you know, chose how I'd gone into engineering and advice my parents had given me. And I really felt like they set the foundations to go, you can be anything that you want. And I really didn't know there weren't that many women in engineering when I got into it. And so it kind of, because I just felt so I could be anything. It didn't even occur to me that there weren't that many women. Anyway, I'm practicing this this talk with him. And he, yeah, he said, are you going to get emotional? Like, no, I'll be fine. My mum's in the audience for my TEDx talk. And for sure, I cried. And it was such a beautiful moment. And it was just so great to have that connection with my mum in the audience and feel that emotion and be okay with it because I had already shared that with somebody else. Uh, and it was something like my workplace, like someone who I wanted to, impressed as well so it was such a powerful exercise and to be recorded on this TEDx talk getting emotional was actually a really beautiful experience in the end so yeah I would guess if you asked the audience what do you remember about that they'll remember those moments when you had that emotional reaction because Ooh. they're going to have that emotional reaction with you you've probably heard of mirror neurons yeah we have as human beings as primates because monkeys have them too that when you yawn, I'm likely going to yawn here in a, in a second too. And those mirror neurons kick in with that emotional connection too. But the impact is they trust you more mm -hmm. because they see you have emotions like I have emotions and you become a more trusted source to that audience when that happens. So it's not a bad thing. It's bad if you get to the point you're blubbering and you can't speak, and you can't share your message. But showing that emotion is okay. I, I was doing a speech. I had to record a speech for this certain event that I was doing recently. And I had somebody on the on the other end of Zoom recording it for me. Okay. He was he was managing all the stuff in the background. We got to the end and he said, Oh, I loved it. I said, What did you like the best? He said, There were two moments. And there were two stories that I told that were very emotional stories for me. Mm. He said, Those are the moments that I remember the most. And that was just a good reminder to me that that does make a difference and it has a powerful positive impact. It kind of goes back to that age-old saying which talks about people remember how you made them feel rather than the words that you actually said and that's such a trap for me because I want to get the words perfect like I said before I usually want to have everything handled and and uh, I found that's actually not the best way to approach a talk or presentation or story because if I'm trying to remember the words then I'm in here in my head I'm not actually out there connecting with people yeah. and you know, I found over time it's better for me to go, cool, I'm going to tell the story about this and have a couple of dot points and really be clear on my intention. And if I've always got that intention in mind, then I can go, it's kind of like my 
my magnet that I can hone back into to tell the story from and just make sure that intention is being delivered. And that's something I really try and deliberately focus on uh, in case I get emotional and off track. Yeah. And I love the words you use there, that that intention that you have, because I talk about all the time being intentional about telling your stories, which to me means I'm telling this story not to just tell a story and not to just be emotional or to connect with people, but I'm telling the story to make a point. What is that point that I'm trying to make? Sometimes people will say, oh, I should tell a story here. And they'll just tell some random story that doesn't go anywhere or have any point. Well, that doesn't have the impact. It actually loses the impact there. You lose your audience that way. But when you're intentional about the story you're telling, it's actually easier to do because you know the point you're trying to get to. And so it'll it'll guide you to that point. Let me throw in one other little piece of research that, that, that I'm familiar with that ties to what you were saying. There was a study done at a university where they took three groups of graduate students. And one group, they shared information with them in just data. So just gave them the data verbally, okay? The second group, they gave them the data, but they also showed it to them in charts and graphs. This is what we do as leaders. We show charts and graphs, right? <laughs> this is how we think we're gonna make an impact. The third group, they gave them the information, they told them a story to relate that information. So they put the information in the form of this little story. Then they came back sometime later and they wanted to test to see how well people remembered, how much they remembered and what they thought about the information. Now, I thought it was very interesting that the first two groups had no statistical difference in how much they remembered. So mm -hmm. the charts and the graphs didn't really make that much difference. Okay, They remembered about the same amount of information and with about the same accuracy. The group that was given the information in the form of a story remembered more of the information, remembered it more accurately. And the third thing that jumped out to me was they found it more credible. Ooh. We think that sharing data and charts and graphs is going to make us credible, but the listeners actually find things more credible when they're getting into the form of that story because they can connect to the why of that information. My internal engineer is going, no. I know. That's why I told you. <laughs> And so my brain is like, kind of like, really think about that. Okay. Without the, the not-for-profit work I've done, I love sharing that we've reached over 14,000 students. And I think that's really cool. And then I always share a story about a person. I say, this is Adele. She came to our event in 2012. She you know, never thought about engineering. She actually changed her subject selection after this event. And then she's actually now an engineer and she's been working in the industry for a number of years. And um, yeah, I... But I go, oh, I should chuck in the story. But I love it. I have to, it's like a thing for me that I have to really mentally get my head around. I know it's important. It totally convince me here today, Mark. Is there any final tips or advice you'd have for people before we wrap up this conversation? I think the only final thing that I would say is to remember that your story actually does matter. Uh, that's the other pushback I get from people is nothing important that happens to me. Nothing all that interesting happens to me. I haven't gone to the moon. I haven't you know, run a marathon or anything like that. And it doesn't matter because the extraordinary lives inside the ordinary moments of your life. And so anything you have a little emotional reaction to, there's likely a lesson there that will help someone. And so take note of those moments, intentionally tell your stories, and you can make a positive impact on those around you, particularly in a leadership position. So great. I think that relatability makes such a difference. And we're all humans connecting with people. But so many takeaways from this conversation. I'm so grateful that you said yes to coming on the podcast. It's been awesome chatting with you. Thank you so much, Mark. It has been my absolute pleasure, Felicity. Thank you. Thank you.